Welcome to Concept to Creation, a podcast featuring entrepreneurs who share their business journey. We'll hear what motivated them to turn their dreams into a business. They'll share stories from the trenches of business, from raising capital, creating products or services, navigating regulations, hiring employees, and managing competition and growth. We'll discover their successes and failures, and they'll provide advice for budding entrepreneurs. Now, here's your host and fellow entrepreneur, Mike Conrad. Welcome to this debut episode of Concept to Creation. Thank you so much for being here. Actually, it's a rather strange feeling because we pre-record these, and I, it's, I'm keenly aware of the fact that as of this particular moment, there are no visitors, there are no subscribers, so I'm thanking nobody at the moment. But by the time this airs, hopefully there'll be a few subscribers, and, uh, and I do thank you for, for being one of them. Uh, the purpose of the show, uh, or the theme of this show, is to... Uh, address one of my favorite subjects, which is entrepreneurship. And uh, I am an entrepreneur. I've, I've owned and operated a business. Uh, it's uh, going on 30 years old. Next year, we'll have our 30th anniversary. So I've passed that dreaded 10-year that dreaded mark where the National Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, states that 75% of all businesses fail within their first decade, within their first decade. So I think when you pass that 10-year mark, you feel a little bit like a survivor. And we're going to talk about entrepreneurs, uh, what their uh, story is, what you know, uh, battles from the trenches, stories from the trenches. Uh, there's a big difference between what people think owning a business is like uh, and what owning a business is really like. In fact, there's a huge difference between those two. So we're going to get into that with our guests, and we're going to talk about their journey their inspiration, where they muster up the courage, where they uh, see something that perhaps no one else has seen before, uh, and they see an opportunity and they, and they exploit it. Um, so we're going to talk about their journey, how they came up with an idea, how they came from concept to creation, and then uh, how they manage growth and competition and cash flow and employees and, comp and, and customers and all of that. And we're going to find out what motivates them. And then hopefully... Uh, near the end of our of our discussion, we'll ask uh, our guests about uh, what advice they could give to budding entrepreneurs based upon their uh, years of experience and based upon their successes and their failures. And we'll kind of come out with the, the net result of all that. So my first guest, uh, I'm, I'm very thrilled and honored that uh, he agreed. And, he, and I didn't even owe him money. He decided to do this anyway. Um, is uh, uh, Dr. Bill Cardoso from Creative Electron. Welcome, Bill. Thanks for the invitation, Mike. Great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Uh, let me explain to my audience who you are. Well, first of all, none of this uh, will be on your official bio, but we've known each other for, for a little while now. We are uh, fellow equipment manufacturers. We're fellow entrepreneurs, business owners. We're fellow board members on the SMTA Global Board of Directors. Um, we are fellow podcasters, and uh, kind of. You know, I have a podcast. Mm -hmm. You have your fireside chat. Uh, so both of us are utilizing a kind of a popular, growing medium uh, in our industry. And both of us are car enthusiasts. So there you go. True. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think you you win in that department. Uh, uh, Bill likes uh, this is. This is another show for an, another topic, but Bill <laughs> likes to take uh, classic cars and rip out their engines and put in electric motors. So he's, exactly. he's basically turning classic cars into like Teslas, you know, uh, or maybe even more than Teslas. So uh, someday I need to get to your, to your ranch and, and see that collection. <laughs> Did, don't you have like People a Model T or Didn't you do that to a Model T or, or, a, or a Model A or something? Exactly, a Model A. I'm in the process of doing that to uh, Cobra. A 65 Cobra. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Well, if we can ever catch up to you, uh, we'll have to, we'll have to see those shows. So um, I think uh, it's safe to describe Bill as an overachiever. And I mean that in a complimentary sense. So uh, let me just give a little bit of your background, your educational background, because uh, I, I find it exceptionally impressive. Uh, you, uh, you got a degree, I, I assume it's your associate's degree. In as an electronics tech, uh, technologist uh, from Occidental mm -hmm. Schools. Now, tell my audience how old you were when you got that, because I don't think it was a typical uh, AA age. Yeah, I was. I started when I was 
11, 11 and a half. And I was in by the time I was 13. 13 year old, 13 years mm -hmm. old and you have your AA degree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you went on and got your, your bachelor's in electrical engineering, uh, in, uh, electrical and computer engineering actually. And then, uh, then you moved to the U S that was in Brazil, right? Uh, you it was in Brazil. Brazil. Yeah. Yes. And then you moved to the United States and, uh, you went to the Illinois, uh, Institute of technology where you got your master's in the same subject. And then that not being quite enough, you stayed on, uh, for your PhD also right. in electrical and computer engineering. Is that right? Correct. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and where most people would stop there, but not Bill. Bill, uh, <laughs> Bill decided that that wasn't, wasn't quite enough. There was still this much room left on the bottom of his exactly. signature. Yeah. Um, so uh, you went to the, um, uh, university, the uh, university of Chicago Booth School of Business and got your MBA. So right. from a educational standpoint, you were exceptionally qualified to start a business. Now, here's, a, here's the first question. How much of that education really prepared you for the startup phase of a business. Now, obviously you could read a spreadsheet, obviously you can predict cash flow, you yeah. got all those tricks yeah. down, but how much of that, uh, you know, your first year of business, how much, how many times did you go, thank God I had that education or, or was that useful later in your business? You know, that's or a very both. good question. Uh, my, my, my career right after, uh, so, when I went to school for, you know, for my master's, PhD and MBA, I was going to school part-time, nights and weekends, uh, while working at Fermilab, which is a park accelerator in, right outside uh, Chicago. And um, a lot of people don't know that part of my, my story, but uh, right after, or I was in the process of graduating uh, from MBA, I took a job here in St. Marcos uh, to work for a small business and um, to work as VP of technology. And two months into my tenure uh, on that business, uh, the founder and the owner of the business, who was also the CEO, he passed away. He had a heart attack. Uh, he was 52 years old. It was a, a huge surprise. And I remember I reached out to one of my uh, professors and, uh, in business school, and I told him, wow, this is an experience because now I'm running that company, right, from two months into the job and I'm running the company in a very unexpected way and very sad way. So I reached out to him and I said, well, that's definitely something school doesn't prepare us for. And his reply was, that's exactly what school prepares you for, right? Because not only, um, you know, the education gives you a toolbox to reach when you need it, but most importantly, it gives you a network, a group of people uh, that uh, you can uh, reach out to and tap into whenever you need. And those are, uh, that's replaceable. Uh, could I, and, and people do it uh, with education or without education, right? There, uh, there's, you know, and, and I, I'm sure you have the experience as well. There's no straight line to entrepreneurship, right? We all get in kind of shoved in a different ways and we just get in this road and, and we keep on going, right? That's right. I don't think anyone, well, a few people probably were, but I don't think in my case and perhaps not yours uh, and perhaps yours, I don't think we uh, were born in our first thought after, you know, feed me and change my diaper yeah. is I want to start a business, right? Exactly. I, I yeah. didn't intend to start a business. I, it just happenstance. It's just all these, it's like a pinball machine. You, exactly. The ball just bounces off all the bumpers yeah. and, and things and it ends up where it ends up. Uh, that was my case. Yeah. What, what age were you when you first started having some entrepreneurial thoughts? So the first company I started, you know, very unofficially was uh, GCC Corporation when I was in Brazil. I was 10 because I started playing with electronics when I was nine. That became a quickly went from a hobby to an obsession. I just right? want to make sure I heard this right. You were 10. I was when 10. You started yeah, your first so, company. Yeah. So I was making uh, dimmers, you know, light dimmers for like Rheostat type uh, dimmers or, or yeah. solid state yeah. type. So. You were making yeah, light dimmers. So how does a 10 year old in Brazil, knowing that, you know, if you went to your hardware store in any country, it's probably filled with GE products and, and the like, you know, with, with a, exactly. a million different things that, what made you think I want to do it and I could do it differently or better than established well, companies? So, so that's what we learn about uh, access to sales channels, right? Uh, that's what, uh, a small, the dimmer itself was a project I found in Electronics Magazine. 
And I figured out that I could uh, build very inexpensively. And it was amazing because my COGS was zero, right? My parents were paying for everything. So my profit was infinite, right? Early investors, divide, huh? <laughs> exactly. Divide yeah. by zero. It's infinite profitability. So that was a great deal. Never got that again. Uh, and um, so I took that project and I made, I think, first batch was maybe 20 or 25. And I bought a little project box and uh, inlet, outlet. And I sold at school, family, friends. And, uh, and, um, and that's how it all started. And that gave me that uh, taste for the uh, connection to a need, right? And being able to go from uh, an idea to filling somebody's needs and fixing a problem, right? Solving a problem. And that never got away from me. That's, and I'm sure you have the same bug, right? Is that ability to link something that's in your head, right? The solution, idea, to something can actually provide people. And that's, that's fascinating. Yeah, I've long thought that the company, the, the people who invent technology are rarely the people who profit from that technology. Correct. It's the, unfortunately, the, in English, I think there's only one word that, that could be used for this, and that's called the exploit. And a lot of times that's a negative connotation. It's, it, Correct. It, it really is contextual. In this case, it's not negative. I think the exploiters of technology are the ones who really benefit from it economically. You know, I look at Apple, you know, the, the idea of the mouse came from Correct. Xerox Labs, you know, uh, right. the, the technology park. It didn't come from Apple. But Steve Jobs walked by and said, that's a good idea. I can use that. And even the yeah. whole uh, uh, window type uh, graphic user interface didn't originate conceptually from Apple, they saw it in another application and realized its value probably more than the original inventor did. In your yeah. case, at 10 years old, building dimmers, you didn't invent the dimmer. No. You found, you found a, a, a need or a, or, a, or a sales channel or something that, that you could exploit and, exactly. and do well in, right? So I, I think it, it's, it, the, it's the exploiters. I wish there was yeah. a better word for that, but that really benefit from all this new technology. Yeah, and I, and I think you're right. It's it's uh, there's a lot of misconception about entrepreneurship, right? Um, and uh, my favorite misconception is is that every overnight success takes ten years to happen, right? Now, because people think that companies become successes overnight. The exploitation is another interesting one. Uh, people don't understand that uh, there is a huge amount of value inventing a technology, coming up with the idea, but in Steve Jobs' case, his genius was in connecting those ideas to deployed devices. That's huge. That's huge. And that's one word that you keep coming back when you talk about uh, entrepreneurship, which is execution. It doesn't matter if you have a good idea. It doesn't matter if you have all the funding. If you can't execute on that, on that idea, if you can execute on that invention, you don't have anything. Right? Yeah, I, so, I, I know when I was younger, I, I would see an advertisement for something and I go, I invented that. I thought yeah. about that 10 you years ago. You didn't right? do anything with but, that. So. Of course, it, it, the only reason I remembered is I saw someone did something with it. But how many times you know, do we invent things in our head and lack the execution? I think that's what separates dreamers from entrepreneurs is right. entrepreneurs learn to execute uh, and dreamers dream. Nothing wrong with that, but they're nothing but wrong with that. Yeah, they're not going to get it's, far. It's all about your ability and willingness to put the work on it, and it's a lot of grit that goes into it. And if you don't have it, it's um, it's it. You become a dreamer, right? You become uh, an ideator because it's 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 an uphill battle, right? It everything is against you. Uh, the, the odds, like you said, 75% of business fail within the first decade. The odds, everything is stacked against this idea. And of course, it helps a lot when you don't know all that, right? It, it's much easier to start when you don't know how hard it's going to be, right? So you just keep on going. And then you realize- Ignorance is bliss. Exactly. You look back like, wait a minute, I've done something here, right? Yeah. <laughs> We've survived. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad you said that because that was my experience. It, you know, I know a whole lot more now than I did then, and I'm thankful I didn't know then 
what I know now because I wouldn't have started the business, not because uh, I regret it. No part of my business journey do I regret. I think I, if I knew how close to the edge, how close to business death we were yeah. so many times over, over the last 30 years, uh, that would have scared me. And, you know, there's a certain safety factor in showing up, punching a clock, getting a check. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but if you want to con- have control of your own destiny, really the only way to do that is to, to go off on your own. And it, it is not for the faint at heart. That's for sure. So it's not. I think what makes entrepreneurs entrepreneurs is this, uh, and we talked about this before, you and I, I think we have a lot of traits. Uh, entrepreneurs have some common traits, and one of them is a very lousy assessment of risk, right? Where yeah, someone might yeah. say 75% of all businesses fail, an entrepreneur will look and go, well, 25% don't. Yes, and exactly. I'm smarter than 75% of the other, you know, of, of the world. I'm not me, but someone might say that and go, well, so I have a better chance than, than others. So we just don't see risk. We see reward. Perhaps, but we don't see yeah. risk. You talk about what people think entrepreneurship is like. It reminds me of those memes. Like, this is what um, my parents think I do. Yeah. This is what my friends think I do. This is what I really do. And there's three completely <laughs> separate, you know, things. Yeah. I know I've had people come up to me, my friends, over the few decades we've been doing this. And they go, wow, I wish I was self-employed because if I was self-employed, I can take as much time off as I want. It must be nice. You know, you can do this. Just write yourself a check. You can go shopping with the company credit card. You know, all these. Yeah. And the truth is you can, but you will end up out of business and probably in tax trouble. But it's just funny to see. Part of the 75%. Yeah. Exactly. That's probably a big part of the 75%. So what, um, were you involved? You're in a very niche business right now. I, I mean, yeah. within your world, you probably don't consider it niche because you have plenty of competition. Uh, but in the, in the greater scheme of things, you're in a very specific part of the EMS world, which is X-ray, mm-hmm. the creative electron. So did you have, ex- I mean, I, you don't just, you know, have a summer job in college and learn all about X-ray, right? Exactly. I, can tell you, I can tell you how to flip a burger because, you know, I had those jobs through school, <laughs> but, but I didn't have any x-ray experience or or defluxing experience in my case so uh did you have any experience in the x-ray world prior to founding creative electron uh prior to founding creative electron i was working at uh, uh this particle accelerator called Fermilab, uh, like i said before in uh right outside chicago and what we did that was uh, build very sophisticated multi-billion dollar x-ray cameras. Not only x-ray, but also gamma rays and, and other uh, subatomic particles. So that experience gave me a lot of background, 10 years of background on radiation detection and um, and uh, in developing of different technologies, developing of uh, semiconductors for radiation detection. Uh, and um, so, uh, the things we do here are definitely not as complex as the large uh, experiments that we had at Fermilab. And, and then I also work in experiments at CERN. Uh, one of them was the experiment that discovered the Higgs boson. So I was doing that in a, in a very much more in-depth perspective. You know, less quick books, much more research than I do uh, right now. So in a way, you know, the machines we, we, we make at Gravel Acton, these are X-ray imaging systems that are fairly, um, you know, straightforward. And the excitement, you know, what really gets me excited is the variety of customers we have and the variety of things that we are inspecting on a daily basis, right? So just this morning, I was looking at a, a, a crankshaft plate from a Harley Davidson, right? And looking for porosity, looking for air bubbles and cracks and things like that. So, and, um, you know, like a good entrepreneur, I. I have a very short attention span and it really gets me going is having something different every day. And uh, we've been doing this now for almost 13 years and, and I'm still on a board. So it, I think it's a very good sign. I think ADD is a required element to be an entrepreneur <laughs> uh, because you're, you have it's to see everything that I have ADD. 
Yeah, my my daughter says uh, she says you know the, the there's a reason ADD and Dad have the same letters. Right? Yeah, that's a good one. I'm going to use it. That's so, perfect. so the in in the world of real estate, they say the three most important rules of real estate are location, location, location. Right. Yeah. In the world of business, it's cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Oh, cash in fact, flow. cash flow probably at some point in your business life even trumps profit, right? Because you could be making yeah. profit and not have any money. Remember the Beatles song? You know, yeah. you never give me your money. You only show me your funny paper. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, there, you might be making tons of money on paper, but you have no cash, right? So yeah. it's all tied up in inventory and, and accounts receivable and, and all that. So um, where did you find i'm assuming you didn't just sell enough dimmer switches to uh, invest in creative electrons so uh, where did how did you go about raising funds to start this endeavor no it's a very question very good point i've seen more businesses die of uh of uh of uh indigestion than uh than um than starvation, right? It's more common for business to die because they take too much than not having enough. Uh, I was very fortunate that in the in my tenure at Fermilab, I got involved with a program called SBIR, which is Small Business uh, Innovation Research. And um, in, so when I started Career Electron, I utilized this funding uh, instrument uh, from the US government uh, to get the business going. So with SBAR, if people are not familiar, uh, these are uh, solicitations. They're topics that US government, we're talking about the US military, uh, NSF, uh, Department, of Defense, uh, Department, of De Department of Energy, and uh, the NIH, each of these organizations, they have, they set aside a good amount of funds uh, and every, so often, twice a year, once a year, depends on the, uh, on the agency, they release this set of topics, set of problems, if you will, that they're having. Uh, for example, the, uh, uh, the Navy might have an issue with the carbon fiber on a flap of F-35 delaminating at uh, high velocity, right? So they were gonna put the topic and say, hey, industry, any out it has to be small businesses, right? In anyone out there knows how to solve this problem. And if you think you have a solution, you write a 30-page proposal and you say, you know what, this is how I'm going to solve the problem. You write a proposal, and if they like your proposal, they will fund you for phase one. It's usually $100,000, $150,000, again, depending on, on the, the agency. And if you do a good job on phase one, which is six months long, they're going to fund you to a second phase that's a million dollars. And so I was able to get a few of those very early in the uh, in the uh, in the story of the in history of the company, and that was the seed money uh, to start Creative Electron. And that probably answers, to a certain degree, a question I had asked earlier, which is how much uh, did your education play in that's your huge. role of starting a company? You started off with an incredible amount of credibility, to correct yes uh, for for a grant or to investors, right? As opposed right. to someone with this wild idea, but no experience and no education, Correct. right? So yeah, that definitely helped a lot. Yeah, it um, does help a lot. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct, yeah. And that's why we still don't have any investors at Creative Electron. You know, I was able nice to- Nice now, right? I mean, yeah, when you're a young yeah. company, you're almost willing to sell your soul, you know, to get to yeah. get a few bucks. Uh, absolutely, but no or guaranteeing. that's the problem. Right. <laughs> you have no buyers. <laughs> right, exactly. I remember once, several years ago, um, one of my employees, this was after, oh, a company was probably 15 years old at mm -hmm. the time. And one of my employees came up and said, I want to invest in the company. I'm like, dude, where were you 15 years ago? Right? I don't, I, I mean, not that we were like large and successful or rolling in cash after 15 years, but we didn't need, I didn't need to give a piece of my company away for money I didn't actually need. Right. And, and he got very offended and I'm like, the time to invest is when the company needs it most because they're willing to pay the most, you know, in terms of shares or equity or whatever. And, and uh, he just didn't understand that, you know, relationship between need and capital, right? Uh, so we make deals that we may regret later, but that's good to be in that position now. So you started your business in 2008. I, other than maybe 1929, I can't think of a worse time to start a business. Uh, at the beginning of what 
our grandkids will be taught in school is the Great Recession, right? We all had, we all learned about the recession, about the depression in the in the twenties and thirties. Uh, you started in the recession, so uh, is that good to start at the worst time because everything else is just better, or did it really not matter? You know, it's it's hard to tell because the um, uh, you know. Uh, the previous company that I had started was in Brazil, so it was a very different, you know, economic uh, landscape. The what I can tell you is that 2008 was a very difficult year, and for those who don't remember or maybe don't didn't experience that uh, that uh, economic recession, uh, unlike COVID, which was also very tough, very hard, a huge economic impact. Uh, that in 2008, the financial markets uh, crashed. And the more than that, access to capital disappeared, right? Because the real estate bubble burst and all of a sudden banks were um, uh, upside down. We were, so one of the things the US government did is sh to shift more money towards incentive to small businesses, right? So the SBIR program that I was telling you about got more money. So we were able to access that money uh, 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 in an easier way. The other great thing that I, that I see, there are three things. So access to capital was uh, the capital that we were looking for, right? Which is not a bank. I know if I went to a bank and I tried, no one would even touch me, right? Because we're small, we have no history, starting a business, no way, everyone's going, he's going bankrupt. So, so that access to that capital was easier and then helped. The second aspect was access to talent. A lot of companies, especially in San Diego, were downsizing. A lot of the telecom were firing people, you know, in a very fast pace. So we were able to get talent that we wouldn't be able to get otherwise because it wouldn't be available and wouldn't be able to reach to that talent. And the third aspect that really helped was to keep us lean, right? And we keep that until today. You, you, um, you know, companies prior to that, if you were, you know, when you are, in, when you start a company and and everything is going great, you have a tendency of just accumulating more, you know, get more people than you need, right? And we started from day zero, being extremely lean, right? We, um, you know. We, and we still are, right? And I think those three components kept ingrained in the DNA of the company and, uh, and have been, I think, fundamental uh, to help us grow. Yeah, that's So when we saw 2020, we were like, wow, 20, 2008 was so much worse. I mean, except of course the deaths and the horrible things happened with the virus, but you know, from an economic perspective, we've, we've seen much worse. Yeah, I think the EMS industry has fared pretty well. Um, yeah, some some have benefit. I hate to use the word benefit when so many people yeah, die, but some yeah. some some have uh, flourished during this time, and some have kind of remained just stable. Uh, maybe a, maybe a few were negatively affected, you know. But our industry is essential, and not just yeah. in words, but really in reality, it's essential. Correct. So, yeah. um, you know, we we did see the call it a three week to thirty day. During the headlights, you know, when California shut down, we were one of the first states to shut down, and then other states rapidly followed. Right. Uh, I think the entire industry just stood saying, okay, we'll take three weeks off and, you know, we'll get back to business. And when it became quite evident that the lockdowns weren't going away, I think everyone just in unison, almost like, like, a, like, like a, a symphony, just started playing again. You know, they just picked up their instruments and started playing again at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and it was a, a very short and scary a uh, few weeks or 30 days or so after the, the shutdown first happened. But uh, we weren't clear right away if we could send our employees to work, if they would get arrested in the car, you know, on their way to the exactly. office. No one knew what was going to go yeah. on. So yeah. besides, uh, besides a, um, a historic recession and a, um, uh, just all the, and, and trying to get funding and all of that, what were other, challenges that your business, you and your business faced the first several years? Uh, what were, I don't know if any of them are unique to your industry or um, if they're just 
business common challenges, but what were some of the challenges that you, you faced? Well, the ones you're willing to talk about. Yeah, there, there, there are lots. I have so many that I'm trying to figure out which one right, to start with. Figure out yeah. the top, top, top three challenges. Yeah, because I know this is not a mini series, right? I mean, we're going right. to stop talking at some Welcome point. Welcome to episode here, right? 97 of Bill's Challenges. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I still have quite a few of those. Um, I think the early days, cash flow is, is, is a major challenge. What I'm talking about is making payroll, right? In the very early days, when you don't really know where payroll was coming from. Um, we had uh, a nice base in the beginning from this SBIR grants and we're able to get uh, money for a specific period of time, but they ended, right? And if you don't have the next one to take you over the next gap, uh, you are in trouble. Um, uh, for us, um, one of the major challenges that, uh, that we had was transitioning from those grants to being a product company, from being a manufacturing company that can survive selling x-ray machines. That was a huge um, transition for us that almost broke us, right? Uh, we almost didn't make it uh, because our revenue went, you know, we're going with the grants and then the grants disappeared and the sale of machines ramp up. And then we're making um, x-ray machines in Santa California, right? Uh, and it's extremely challenging. I don't know anybody else doing it. It's just, um, you know, it's a very, very regulated place uh, to be. And it's um, uh, luckily yeah, the city of San Marcos has been phenomenal helping us uh, through some of the local issues and, and the regulatory issues and, you know, fire cold and things like that. Um, and, um, and then the other challenge to the business is the founder, right? And all the bad ideas we have in my case, no, I shouldn't say we, that I have, and I've had plenty of bad ideas. And luckily, luckily I was able to, uh, get around me an amazing team that doesn't listen to me all the time. And so not all my bad ideas get executed. Um, but but seriously, you know, as, uh, as um, you know, you, you're the same. We are creative people and we see potential in things that sometimes don't happen. And, you, you know, I, we've had ventures and products that didn't work out. And uh, it's, it's not easy to kill something, right? I mean, I should say it's very easy to kill something that fails right away, right? It's very easy to keep something alive that is a success. It's tough when you have those lingering, you know, right. ideas or products or companies. And like, it's, it's a pain. You want to keep going, it's kind of making money, but it's just a distraction, right? And you just it's easier to, to kill something when it's not your idea. It is harder to kill something that is your idea because there's yeah. ego involved. I, and I think all entrepreneurs, all entrepreneurs, maybe there's some exceptions, but I don't think so. Start off, you have to have a certain amount of ego, right? Yeah. To, to, to say, I can do that better, or I am thinking of something that no one else has ever thought of, or exactly. I can make this work, I can, I can be the 25% that make it. There's gotta be a lot of self-confidence, which kind of comes Correct. across as ego. Uh, and, and I think that you can't start a company without a certain amount of that. And you can't sustain a company with too much of that, right? There's Correct. gotta be this kind of shift from yes. ego and stamina and grit and stubbornness to something more savvy, yeah. you know, as you grow. When, tell me about some of your less successful endeavors. You don't have to get into specifics, but were they like a type of machine or an application that just you thought was great and maybe the world just wasn't ready for it yet or? Well, we had, a, uh, we came up and we developed and we actually ended up with a patent on it, a radiation detector that connects your iPhone. So it was a really cool idea. It has, it had an app connected to it. And so that you could GPS and tag the measurements that you were making. Um, in Japan, this was uh, during Fukushima. So Japan, we were able to map radiation all over Japan. So as you're driving with the device on your phone, you can actually tag and see how much radiation was around you. 
And it didn't have a battery because we connected to the audio jack of the phone. So the app we developed would generate uh, sound out of your audio jack. We take that sound, the energy from the audio jack, to create 600 volts for the Geiger counter on your phone. And wow. that was great, super exciting, but very distracting. It's one of those ideas where we were making money, but not a lot of money. Yes. You know, but it's like it's exciting, but it's taking all my time doing that. And I have to sell X-ray machines at the same time. And eventually we just uh, divested of that idea and, and moved on. Yeah. And then Apple got rid of the auto jack. And there goes my idea. Right. Right. Now, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> we had a, I had a similar experience. Uh, you know, we build cleaning equipment for yeah. removing flux and other contaminant species from circuit boards. And. You know, I, I, I got this idea once that we can build a golf club cleaner using ultrasonic energy for the heads. And um, we had this chemical that you could put on the grips and it would restore the tackiness. It would restore the rubberness of the grip. So they felt like brand wow, new grips. Cool. And no one, and everyone was said, this is great. This is wonderful. Oh, will you buy it? Well, no, but, but it's cool, right? So I remember <laughs> we... Um, we ended up getting rid of the ultrasonic cleaner because we realized that although it was a great technology, the golf shop shop pros make money cleaning their patrons' clip uh, uh, um, clubs. And when we offered a machine with you know a five dollar bill acceptor on it, they lost money. So we yeah. didn't have the support for that. So okay, yeah. we learned that lesson. And then so we ended up selling this pre-saturated uh, microfiber towel uh, with a special chemical that you can wipe on your grips and it just restored and made them like brand new again, almost sticky, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we ran a, a radio commercial on a local sports station and sat by the phones and the, they didn't ring. So then we thought, okay, it's a visual thing. So we ran a TV commercial on oh, wow. a local cable channel in San Diego uh, wow. during, during um, a, a large golf tournament. And... Uh, a couple of people called, but they were basically insurance people wanted to sell us insurance services or whatever. <laughs> so, so that, and we gave away a bunch of cases to a lot, about 20 or 30 uh, golf courses just for them to give out as samples. Uh, and then one day, and then we set up a website, you could buy the stuff online. And one day I, I came into the office and I, I opened up my email and I found out we sold $300 worth of these little jars of golf uh, grip cleaner. Yeah. And, and I was so excited. I'm like, yes, I made $300 in my sleep. This is great. And I was so excited. And then my sales manager came in and said, yeah, we just got this $82,000 order. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, exactly. what am I yeah. doing? I'm playing in the dirt when they're playing in gold, right? What am I yeah. doing? Yeah. And yeah. I, that was just, it was the perfect timing uh, yeah. it, to, for someone to just hit me over the head with reality and go, you know, uh, yeah. you and I are both fans of Jim Collins. Uh, the yeah. author uh, who wrote Good to Great, and I think you had recently on Phil Stoughton's show um, mm -hmm. talked about uh, the 20 mile march. Mile march. Uh, right. Yeah. And in Good to Great, he, he talks about you know, whatever you decide to do, even if it's just one thing, honestly be able to say with all the confidence in the world that you're the best in the world at it. Be the mm -hmm. best at, at dimmers, be the best exactly. at x ray, be the best at cleaners. And I realized that this golf grip cleaner was a commodity. And if it did become successful, Callaway and Ping and all these, you know, Titleist, they'll all come out with their version of it. And, and it'll just be a, yeah. an also ran. So, I, it, so that was a big lesson for me. Uh, and, and it sounds like you too, you created something that everyone was kudos, interesting, but they had no, Unless you live in Fukushima or parts of the Ukraine, you don't really have a lot of need for it, right? Or exactly. working in an industrial job, I guess, that has radiation. Yeah, but it's, it's, um, uh, it's one of the traps, right? I mean, you talk to uh, um, uh, future or, 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 um, or uh, people who want to become entrepreneurs, and, you know, I, I laugh every time somebody tells me, oh, you know what, you... you I'm going to tell you something, but it's uh, it's a secret. So I don't know if I should tell you. I'm like, really? I mean, it, it, most business idea, I, I've never heard a business idea that was so unique, so secretive that, you know, if it's that unique, then 
no one thought about it because no one's going to buy it because it's just a bad idea. And very likely somebody in the past already tried it, did not succeed. And that's why you can't find it today because it was a bad idea in the first place, right? Most business ideas, and that's what people don't realize, don't, people should not stress out about finding the next, the next uh, spark, the next, you know, you know, post-it note, because you know what? Very likely the person who invented that, like you said before, didn't make money out of that, right? What you have to find is you have to look for inefficiencies in places where you can do better, we can execute better, right? You look at all these successful companies out there. So Facebook didn't invent social media. Amazon didn't invent delivery. Google didn't invent search. What, why are they successful? They were able to make it frictionless. They made it easier for people to get what they want. That's why Elon Musk is so successful. Why? Because he's a genius at removing friction. He's a genius with PayPal. They made it easier for companies to grab money from your pocket. That's why he's so successful at Tesla. He made it very easy to, for people to access electric cars, right? So it's not about that great idea. Figure out how to execute something better. And that's it. That's what I did. That's what you did, right? You figure out a way to make cleaning machines better and easier for people to access. I'm trying to make it easier for people to x-ray their stuff, whatever it is, right? So let's talk and about x-ray. You build x-ray equipment. Other companies do. I'm not going to name them all, but you know who they are. And I think our industry yeah. knows who they are. Uh, and they all build essentially, I'm not going to say the same thing because I know there's a lot of intricacies with yeah, the exactly. type of tube and all that. But, but they all build basically machines that perform a similar function, right? Can, can see through a BGA, for example. Correct. So if we can just, just kind of agree for the sake of discussion that all x-ray yeah. machines are the same, which I know they're not, but just for the sake of discussion, they're all the yeah. same. What, cre what sets Creative Electron apart? What, you, you ever see these uh, images with you know, all these um, white ping pong balls and one red yeah. ball in the middle, right? Yeah. You, know, you can get those on iStock or whatever. Exactly. What, what makes Creative Electron that red ping pong ball in a sea of white ping pong balls? Correct. Yeah, set us aside from the commodity, right? So we talked about growth earlier. Um, and in my experience, uh, if you drive your team to get growth, you're going to get growth. You might not get good growth, right? You're going to get the bad deals and no one, no one else gets, and you're going to get them. Uh, so one of the things that as a side, we qualify, or at least we try to qualify our, our customers as much as they qualify us. We're passionate for what we do. We're geeks, we're nerds, and we love X-ray technology. We see beyond the BGA, the QFN, and the solder void that people are looking for. We see what we try to do is go beyond and figure out why those things happen, right? We go for the why, and we layer that nowadays with artificial intelligence and machine learning, and we try to use the X-ray as a tool to help people improve their process, right? We don't stop at the grayscale image. Our vision is that one day you don't even have to look at the extra uh, gray scale image. The machine is going to be able to tell you that your stencil was broken or that your printer is uh, uh, not calibrated correctly, right? That's, that's where we're going for. That's our grand vision uh, for the future. So and some customers appreciate that and they want to work with us. Uh, some customers are looking for the best deal in the market and the lowest dollar. And it's not us. We are, I'm the first to say that if they're looking for the lowest price, Alibaba and other websites are available and you can just go ahead and buy um, machines directly from there and you know, go for it. Uh, working with us is a, you know, much like working with Accus, right? You're working with a team of passionate people. We are in California, so we're not by any means the lowest cost provider but we are the highest value provider uh, to our customers. You know, I, I read um, an article when the recession happened, 2008, 9, 10, 11, depending on what business you're in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what businesses thrived during the recession or at least didn't fail? Uh, and they were talking about retail stores. 
And the stores that did the best were the Nordstrom, the Saks Fifth Avenue, the high-end retail stores. Uh, they did well. The middle, the Targets and, and uh, Walmart. slightly higher up. Uh, well, Walmart yeah. is, yeah, they're probably or the lower, Walmart. but the, but the, the, let's not say Target. Let's say, um, let's make it like Macy's and um, those types of companies that are in the middle, right? They really suffered. And the businesses that were in the bottom really did well. So the top and the bottom did well. And if you think about it, if you're going to go into a business, if you want to be the low price leader, say you want to be the Amazon. I mean, there's, they make plenty of money. Jeff Bezos is one of the richest people in the world. It takes billions to be able to make money off a three or 4% profit margin. Most mere mortals like us can't afford the infrastructure to be able to be that efficient, to be the low price leader. So everyone, and then everyone is afraid to start off at a high price because you're, you know, you're almost embarrassed to charge a high price for your stuff. So everyone migrates to the middle, which I think is part of the 75% of businesses who fail in 10 years. It's because they're all in the middle. You can't stand out in the middle. There's no differentiation being in the middle. You are with thousands of other similar companies and similar people, and, right. and you don't stand out. So you either go high or you go super low. And since most entrepreneurs can't afford to go super low, you know, yeah. to be able to invest what Amazon did and Walmart did and, uh, yeah. uh, and others like that, we, we go to the top. And that's where we started. I look at when I started my company, I did a, I was in our industry, you know, working for somebody. So I kind of had an advantage, but I did a a study to see what all of our competitors were charging. And I made sure that I was above all of them. I took the most expensive machine and I went 20% above that because I figured if we're going to lose on price, let's lose on price right away. Let's just, we don't want them. You know, that's not, it's not that we don't want them. We can't make money on them. So what good? Yeah, we can afford them. Yeah. We can't afford that customer. And I love your point about, um, about, I don't think you use these words, but I, I wrote it down this way, or maybe use these words, own your customer. You, you pick your customer. Uh, I like yeah. the idea of customers think they're picking us, and they are, and we are also choosing them, right? Because there are yeah. certain customers that are just a joy to work with. They're collaborative. They, they're, they're your partner. And then there it are those, right. Yeah. And then there are those that just lead with price. And, and, and I, I find that the lower the someone, lower price we charge somebody, the more needy that customer is, you know, if there's just a, you know, if they, if they understand the concept of value, they also understand the concept of maintenance and reading the manuals and, and loving their equipment and being part of the uh, operation of the equipment rather than just hold, you know, pick up the phone or hit the send button every time something blinks, you know, exactly. And, and, and we, you know, much like you guys, we like to create, partnerships, right? We don't think about selling a machine. We're creating an account, right? We're looking at um, a relationship that's going to last 10, 20, 30 years, right? And we're going to keep servicing that uh, relationship for this time. And that costs money, right? We have to stay in business to be able to service them for 10 years. And, um, and, and, and we still have a good relationship with very early customers. Because we've been, we've, we've been very fortunate to be able to acquire customers, right? And, and, and be fortunate enough that they invested in us to keep this long-term relationship. And that costs money. That's, there's no other way around it. But I want to believe that, that, that those resources they invest in us are retributed 10 times fold in form of value and intelligence and, and insights that we're able to provide them, right? So that's, and that's a win-win relationship. And not all customers want that, right? And I respect that. And our jobs as entrepreneurs is to train our team to identify that and say, listen, if someone wants a bottom cost machine, that's perfectly fine. Give them a link to Alibaba and go ahead, step out of the way. Don't waste your time, right? right. Don't reach to the bottom because we're not, we can't survive being the low cost provider and very, very, very few companies can survive being the low cost provider, especially in California. It's yes, that's right. Tough. 
That reminds me of the Frank Sinatra lyric from his famous song that he sang in 1979, if I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. Exactly. Uh, so you started yeah. in California, I started in California. People have asked me, I'm, I'm a California native, I was born here, and many of my friends and colleagues in this industry have asked me, why are you still building in California? Yeah. Move to Texas, there's no tax in Texas, or move to wherever, or, or, or even more commonly, why don't you build in China? It's yeah. like, well, I have no problem building in China if I lived in China. I, I'm just, exactly. a, I'm just yeah. a simple person. I believe in a simple yeah. rule. Buy locally, hire locally, live yeah. locally where you live. And, exactly. and if you can't find it locally, then go out 100 miles. And if you can't find it in 100 miles, go out to another state. And if you can't find it in another state, then go out to another country. But, exactly. but bring it here. And our volumes, and you're probably the same way, our volumes, we're not the auto industry or, or the airline yeah. industry where we can take the martini out of the, uh, uh, take the olive out of the martinis and save a million dollars a year in fuel, yeah. right? We don't have that economy of scale. So if we yeah. pay $100 for a part or $500 for a part, yeah, it, it's only going to affect the sale price of the machine by a small percentage, right? It, yeah. It's not worth doing that. And I and like hiring local people. Saying, I like buying from local places. Exactly. It goes back to qualifying the customer, right? I mean, if you get to the game where you have to remove the olive from your martini, right? It's might not be the best place for you to be in California. Then move to Shenzhen or Wuhan or one of the other places that will give you the price advantage that you need for the business, right? Sure. But you're right. The whole business has to be designed from its inception to accommodate where you are. And, and I think that's one critical it, it all comes together, right? It's the product you make. You know, uh, when we were making iRads, uh, we were selling them on Amazon for, I think, $199, $199, right? We're making probably 70 bucks on each, 80 bucks on each. So you do the math. How many of those I had to sell a month to pay rent, right? To pay the mortgage. It's a right. lot of a lot of radiation right. detectors, right? From a margin percentage standpoint, that's an enviable margin. Yeah. But from a dollars and cents standpoint, right? Exactly. You can't pay your you can't pay your mortgage with a boastful margin, right? You have exactly. you, know, you can't say, "Hey, I, this is a you know forty percent margin." Uh, exactly. You know, we, we, can I? They they won't accept forty percent of the mortgage. They, they no. you're right. It's it's all about scale and and how much cash is coming in, not just margins, right? Right. So today, Bill, you're. You know, in business years, you're you're 300 years old, right? <laughs> in my hairline, can tell you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like dog years, uh, entrepreneur years. Exactly. So, what would the 300 year old Bill Cardoso tell the young Bill Cardoso who was just starting Creative Electron? What advice would you give to your younger self, or what advice would you not give to your? What would you hold back? Either way. That's a good question. Maybe I'm not sure if this is uh, this advice is useful for other people, but for me, it would be incredibly useful is to remember that we live in a, well, it's a multidimensional world, but we're not just three-dimensional, we're four-dimensional. There's a fourth dimension called time. And to be more patient, right? That one of the many of the many defects I have, many issues that I have, one of them is extremely impatience. And a lot of, I think a lot of decisions, a lot of things I've done were rooted in my lack of patience and trying to get things fast and not understanding that sometimes doing nothing is better than doing something. Does it make sense? Right? To just slow down is the best remedy. And that's something that, you know, age and three kids, and all this stuff is, I'm starting to learn that, that, you know, time is a very powerful friend that's usually on your side. You know, speaking of that, a, a business mentor friend of mine uh, gave me advice once, and it had to do, the word time is in it, not exactly in the same context as you're saying, but if you're trying to make a decision, whether or not one, we should do something. Exactly. Take time and money off the table. Yeah, and see if it's, if time were not an issue, if money were not an issue, would this be something you would do? Yeah, it's a great and advice. Yeah, because we we filter our decisions based on yeah. I'd love to do that, but we don't. I don't have any time. Or I'd love to do that, but it'll cost too much money. 
which to, one, yeah. you know, yeah. and there are some very good decisions we leave on the shelf perhaps for the next entrepreneur uh, yeah. to, to exploit that we could do if, if we look at things without the filter of yeah. time and money, because yeah. a good decision is a good decision. If it, it, you know, and entrepreneurs know this, you know this very well, you'll find the time and the money if you have the passion yeah. to do it. Right. But I think the, the longer a business is in business, the less risk we take, which is probably good, right? I think you, yeah. know, you only have so many lucky hands at the poker table, right? At the blackjack <laughs> exactly. table. You, you can get on yeah. a, a winning streak, but it's, statistically, it's not going to last. So I think the idea of, of managing risk as your company gets older is a good idea. But some companies take that to an extreme and they just, you know, they, they've made their money. They've made the, their lifestyle is at a certain uh, height that all of a sudden they're afraid to lose what they have. When we're young and we start businesses, yeah. there's nothing to lose except our, our pride. Exactly. Now we got cars and mortgages and, and electric Model Ts and you know, <laughs> <laughs> all, all, the, all the stuff uh, that comes along with, with you know, economic maturity. And, and we don't want to lose that. So we start making extremely guarded decisions. So I think there's a, a fine balance between acceptable risk uh, where we were savvy and we calculate the risk and the reward and, and careless risk, which we all did when we were younger, uh, yeah. and zero risk that kind of puts us in a box and just, you know, maybe that's just a slow, you know, uh, uh, soft landing, you know, for when we retire. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, as we wrap up here, this time has gone by fast. We talk about entrepreneurs age at a fast rate. And I, we, <laughs> the time goes by at a fast rate. What skills do you possess today? that you did not possess when you started Creative Electron? Um, patience. I've been acquiring that over the years. I'm not there yet. I'm better. But um, that's one skill that I'm developing is patience. I like how you say developing. It's a work in progress, right? Work in progress. Yeah. Ask my team. They'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> they might disagree with the timing, but it is developing, at least in my head. Is your, does your team feel safe challenging you? I think so. I think yeah. so. Yeah. I, at least I want to believe so. Yeah. I, I thought that. Uh, and then I hired my daughter after she graduated college. Mm -hmm. And... Um, yeah, she has an MBA and 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 undergrad degree, and I, I thought, okay, this is this is great. I'm getting someone you know educated that I'm close with and who can tell me the truth. And formally, we'd have a meeting. I you know I call everyone into the conference room and I go, I got this yeah. idea. And what about this? What about that? And and then twenty people go, Wow, Mike, that's a great idea. Oh my God, Mike, are you losing weight? <laughs> I mean, they just like yeah, okay. I and I don't know how much of that is real and how much of that is. You know, they yeah. know the, the hand that feeds them. So then I brought my daughter in and I drag everyone into a meeting all excited about something. Usually as I came back from vacation, my, I'd be all, all these ideas in my head. Exactly. And I'd throw them out and I'd get, oh, Mike, that's a great idea. Oh, man, no wonder you own the company. Blah, 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 blah. And then I get to my daughter and she'd go, she would call me MK because she didn't like to call me dad sure. at work. Yeah. So she'd yeah. call me MK. She goes, MK, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's brutal. It's <laughs> Brutal, it's brutal truth, right? Yeah. And, and that's when I realized I, it, it's the emperor's new clothes, right? It's, yeah. it's, uh, they're, they're telling you what you want to hear. And after she went on and had grandchildren, and my grandchildren, my wife's grandchildren, and her kids, uh, so she doesn't work with me anymore. But I, I think that kind of was a watershed moment that the rest of yeah. the staff realized they can talk to me honestly, uh, and they can differ with my opinion. And everything changed after that. Then really where everything before was my decisions. And fortunately I had, you know, one or two better ones than, than failures. I had plenty yeah. of failures, but I, but the ones that made it, it did okay to cover the failures, but it became much more collaborative. And yeah. my team became really part of the company in a, in a way they didn't feel they were before. Yeah. So, the ownership. And it's, it's hard to get any scalability if you don't have that kind of feedback. Right, because you, the the company becomes 
uh, founder-centric, right? And yes. as founder-centric, you end up limiting the company growth yourself. And it's very, very dangerous. Yeah, very I think dangerous. we are, if we put it, we we're talking about Elon Musk earlier, so let's make a space analogy. I think the, the yeah. founders, the entrepreneurs are the booster rockets that yeah. were the first rockets that get the, the uh, spacecraft off the launch pad and up to whatever elevation. And then those boosters get ejected off and, ejected, and yeah. smaller, more accurate, uh, you know, more precise rockets take over, and yeah. you can't. It's a good analogy. You can't yeah. get to the space station with a giant booster rocket, right? We'd smash yeah. into it, right? We're not very accurate. We we can set yeah. a direction and a speed, <laughs> and an intention. It's an analogy, but, yeah, yeah. but exactly. we're clumsy. We're 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 uh, bulls in a china shop, right? Between our yeah. tempers and our patience and our egos and all that. Last question uh, before we depart uh, is: um, Would you do it again, knowing everything you know now? Absolutely. Would you do it again? That sounds Absolutely. like a in a heartbeat moment, right? Is that in right? No question about it. No question about it. I mean, it's 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 better than having a job. That's true, and <laughs> I think you would agree. Entrepreneurs, once you have that taste, once you've had an experience building a company, yeah, we are unhirable. We would make a terrible employee because we would yeah. be on the job maybe for three weeks if we're lucky. Then we'd see something that's stupid and we'd say something and yeah. we're not, we don't get what we want and we'd quit or get fired. I, I think we're yeah. un, unhirable. Well, more, more likely we're just starting a new company on the side anyway, right? So. Right, right. <laughs> Let's be honest. Always thinking, right? Always <laughs> thinking. I can You're do ready that. to go to the next company or starting. Uh, yeah, and, and I have no regrets. I mean, there were hard times, you know, many sleepless nights thinking how we're going to make payroll next week. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's, um, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a lifestyle. It's, uh, you know, I'm the kind of guy like you, you know, we think about this 24 seven, right? If I'm thinking about something 24 seven, it becomes part of my DNA. There'll be something that's, you know, I have a deep collaboration and deep involvement in growing, you know? So yeah, I'll do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Bill, uh, you've made it through the hard part. You're no longer statistically destined to <laughs> fail, right? You passed that yeah. in 2018, so good for you. Um, I wish you all the success in the world. I don't think I need to wish that to you. I think you're already there. Likewise. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And, and I know all this. I'm sure you know this, too. All this could change at any moment. But um, yeah. I, I think in your company case, and certainly in mine, um, we sell more than boxes. I, you know, in our case, yeah. we're out to make the world a better place. As corny exactly. as that sounds, as Pollyannish as that sounds, I think we, the companies that have a better chance at making it are bigger than themselves. They are doing exactly. something bigger than themselves, even if it's selling nerdy things like x-ray equipment and, and, and yeah. you know, dishwashers for circuit boards. Uh, we are in this yeah. for a bigger picture, right? It's not just selling boxes, yeah. right? Anyone can sell boxes. So uh, kudos to you. Um, I love the way you run your company. I, I watched that uh, interview Likewise. between you and Phil and got some good insights from that. So we'll help each other out. <laughs> and thank you, especially for being my first guest. I, I really appreciate Thanks you. Thanks for having me. Willing yeah. to sit down and stare into the camera and talk about things like your business uh, and uh, and your failures, not too many people ask you about that in your social life, I'm sure. Like, hey, Bill, what'd you screw up today? So, uh, right. But uh, they usually don't have the time to listen to all the screw ups of the day. Right, right, exactly. Like, uh, well, what day do you want to talk about this? You know, what month do you want to talk about it? Well, thanks for being my guest today. And uh, I wish you continued success. And, and I'll see you again really soon at a SMTA, you know, board meeting or, board meeting. or something, or, or hopefully at SMTAI in. Uh, in November in Minnesota. So we'll see what that's like. I think we'll wear masks just to keep our faces warm, even if we don't have exactly, to. Exactly, yeah. Right. We might have to buy a jacket, Mike. I know, right? <laughs> Us Southern Californians, you know, I have a jacket, and I think it's the same jacket I got in like 1985. <laughs> you know, I, exactly. I've worn it we like eight times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, Bill, thanks for being my guest. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Mike. All right. Bye -bye. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for watching. Thanks for being part of this very first episode of Concept Creation. We'll talk to you again very soon.
Well, we did it. We just completed our debut episode of the Concept of Creation podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. If you're watching this on YouTube, right down here somewhere, there's a subscribe button. Please feel free to hit that button so you'll be notified of new episodes when they appear. And if you like the episode, please hit the bell and uh, let us know you liked it. And that helps other people find the show as well. If you're listening to the audio-only version, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many, many, many other uh, podcast platforms. So just whatever you're watching this or listening to this on, hit the subscribe button. We have several guests lined up, and I'm excited to introduce them to you uh, as these shows continue to be produced. Uh, we have several guests, all from the EMS industry, uh, to talk about their unique and challenging and interesting journeys as they built their businesses uh, and, and exercise their entrepreneurial desires uh, to build these businesses. They have some very, very interesting stories uh, and we're gonna go through them one by one as these episodes progress. So again, thank you for joining me. Thank you for being the debut audience and I look forward to hearing from you. If you have any questions or any comments, or any uh, particular company you would like me to interview, company founder, please uh, drop me a line. You can reach me right down here at my email address, and that's mike at mikeconrad.com. That's Conrad with a K. And I will uh, try and round up those guests and ask them the questions that you're curious about. So thank you again very much. We'll talk again, and I'll see you again very soon. <laughs>